0: Good day ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together and no matter what's going on in life as long as there's ukuleles and banjos it's going to be all right. <laughs> there's something just joyful about the uh, ukulele. For those of you listening on uh podcast later on, you don't get to hear my son's uh intro music, so you don't know what I'm talking about. You'll have to look us up on YouTube. Glad you're here with us. We are continuing our study of the prophecy of Isaiah. And today we are in chapter 11. And as I uh, put in the little teaser there, it's timely hope. Yeah, it's high inflation and all kinds of stuff going on the war. Ukraine is still going on. There are other wars. There's just a lot of bad news. I would encourage you turn off the news. Turn off the news. Don't read Twitter all day, Facebook, don't watch Fox News, Bright, but whatever you see in don't just turn it all off. None of that stuff enables you to live for the glory of Jesus Christ today. None of that, none of the news gives you any actionable information. So turn it off. Let's stick to what the Word of God revealed. That's my, my encouragement to you today. So uh, as we look into Isaiah 11, I want to, Take you to John's gospel for a moment. You remember when John the Baptist introduces Jesus. We talked about this uh, yesterday, and he introduces him as the Lamb of God. And you recall when the, uh, the, the disciples of John, who saw Jesus, they went quickly to get others, right? They went to get their brothers, and one of uh, the men who did that was Philip. Now, imagine you are uh, Nathaniel, Philip's brother, Philip comes to get you, and here's what Philip said in John 1 here. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, so... Imagine you're Nathaniel, or if you're a woman, imagine you're one of their sisters or mother, someone around, you hear that these guys are convinced they have found the one that the prophets wrote about. Right? This is the culmination of generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, in fact, more than a thousand years, of expectation of this coming one. And your friend, your brother, your son, you yourself, if you're putting yourself in the sandals of Nathaniel, you are convinced that we have found the one. What would you have in your mind? Who is this? What what were the expectations based on the prophets? Well, Isaiah is going to give us some of that expectation. We've been looking at this. So let's uh, take a look. This would be one of the predominant passages in your mind if you were that first century person convinced that Jesus was the fulfillment of, he is the Messiah. Uh, This is one of the predominant passages you would have in mind. So we've been looking at this. Back to chapter 11, verse 1. He's going to be a shoot of Jesse. He's going to be an offspring of Jesse. Like David was, a son of Jesse. And here it says, a branch from his roots, from Jesse's roots, he will bear fruit. All right, so what fruit is this branch going to bear? What's he going to produce when Messiah comes? When he finally arrives, what is going to be the result? Right? That's what a fruit is, the product. Well, before we get the product, we, we learn a little bit more about the Messiah and his character, if you will. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, right? God's spirit, Yahweh's spirit will rest on him. It will settle on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge of Yahweh and fear of Yahweh. Those are all going to be true of this one which as we said is why it's important when we see the spirit resting on jesus and the voice coming out this is my beloved son and, and all of that right in verse three we get a uh, a description of what's what his heart is like what his motives are if you will he says he will delight in the fear of the lord we we've talked about that he he's going to Breathe in like a pleasing aroma, fearing Yahweh. What's he going to do? That's what we spent the last couple of days looking at. He is going to be the judge. Messiah comes. He has the spirit of Yahweh resting on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding all that. And he will judge. It's the first task described or describing the Messiah, Judge. Again, we just don't think about that so much. And I, uh, this, just this morning, I was pondering, some of you are in churches, more liturgical churches maybe, that repeat the Apostles' Creed maybe every Sunday. Certainly weekly or, um, I I don't know, I shouldn't say weekly, but regularly, right? You repeat the the Apostles' Creed. I wonder how many times we have said the Apostles' Creed and given almost no credence (laughs) to one of these these verses. Uh, You know the Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and so on and so on and so on. Look right down here. Can you see my cursor? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. But what comes right before that? Speaking of Jesus, he ascended on the third day into heaven. He seated on the right hand of the Father, and he will come to do what? To judge the living and the dead. Right? This creed that some say over and over again, weekly, monthly, regularly, this creed, he's going to come to judge. And yet, I don't hear Christians spending a lot of time concerned about judgment or telling others that Jesus is the judge and he's coming to judge. Why is that? Why is that? It's the first task uh describing what Jesus what the Messiah is going to do here in Isaiah 11. He's going to judge. And he's going to judge, remember we discussed this, not based on skin color, not based on life status. He is not persuaded. He is he is the ultimate blind judge in the sense that blind justice. He is he's going to judge with righteousness and fairness. And he's going to pronounce his verdicts not based on Uh, Anything other than actions and deeds. As I was pondering this again, I couldn't help but contrast this justice with what is being uh, perpetually uh, discussed in our culture. I just told you not to watch the news, (laughs) but when you do watch the news, you're going to see and hear this constant chaos that's being raised. Because our leaders, and this is not just true in the US, this is true all over the world, our leaders have a, an agenda to create a judgmental people, I, I should say a judgmental climate. They divide people into different categories. These are the, the intersections I was talking about yesterday, dividing men and women, dividing different ethnicities, dividing different social classes, dividing what they call sexual orientations. And this is why they continue to add letters to what I call the perverse alphabet. All of this is by design because if people will judge one another based on these Classes these identities rather than on actions, then we can maintain turmoil and and warfare and chaos. But if everyone just judged one another based on deeds, it becomes very simple. If governments simply judged based on the law of the land, and the deeds, whether they met those or not, then most of that chaos and uh, turmoil among people goes away. That's what this judge is going to do when this Messiah comes. He's not going to be motivated by mob, uh, popular crowd mentality, and what we call racism and all that, just... Here's the standard. Here are your actions. And what is the fruit? What is the product, the result of this kind of fair, righteous judgment? Remember, he, he, he bears this righteousness like a belt, his loins. He, he's at ready for action, this faithfulness around his waist. He, he's going to do what he's, what he's supposed to do as judge. And what is the result? Peace. Peace. Look at this. Verse six. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Think about that. The result, the fruit of this judge judging with fairness and righteousness is peace. The wolf living, dwelling together, hanging out, inviting each other into their homes. The wolf and the lamb doing this. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? This is the kind of imagery that Nathanael and others would have had in their mind when they are convinced, we have found the Messiah. Now we have seen this already, right? Remember back to Isaiah chapter two, what's going to happen as Zion, the mountain is lifted up and the word goes out from Zion to all the nations. The nations are going to flock to Zion and they are going to beat their swords into plowshares. There's going to be peace. Or chapter nine, when this child is born, when the son is given and the government is placed on his shoulders, what's going to increase? Peace. And hear this image. When he comes to judge, there's going to be peace. Now, the language that Isaiah writes here, that the vision that he has is a change in what we call nature. Right? These are animals. The wolf dwelling with the lamb. You, maybe you've heard the quip, what democracy is. You know, we, we in the US live in a republic, representative government, right? Where we elect certain representatives and they represent the masses. And the left continues to push for an, an elimination of the electoral college and they want democracy. And way back centuries and centuries before uh, the US government was formed, uh, someone quipped about what a democracy is. Democracy is uh, three wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. <laughs> right? When you when you let all people have an equal vote, full-on democracy is a sure way to destroy a people, because then it just becomes. Uh, the the popularity vote, and then the power vote, the strength in the masses, and it leads to tyranny, always. Democracy doesn't work. Because when you have a mass of people, there's going to be wolves, and the wolves are going to vote to devour the lambs. Well, that imagery is taken from nature, right? Where lambs are sitting ducks. (laughs) Just (laughs) adding metaphor to metaphor. They are prey for the wolves. So, notice all these predators and prey in the relationship, the wolf, the leopard, the lion, those are all predators. The lambs, the goats, the the fatlings, or the, the yearlings, they are all prey, and they are all going to dwell together. They're going to hang out together. That's peace. And look at this. A little boy will lead them. Imagine that. Can you imagine having a son five years old and him out there leading like a like pets? Not only sheep and goats and little bitty, you know, fatlings, but a five-year-old boy leading wolves and leopards and lions tamed like pets? Let me ask you, I see a a statement here from Lon. I'm going to look at this. While I'm reacting to that, I want to ask the rest of you, what does this sound like? A boy leading a lion, for instance. Does that remind you of any other Old Testament passages? See if anybody... uh, can get where I'm going here as I look at what Lon said. Lon says, is this, verses six and seven, after the separation and destruction of the goats from the sheep, the saved versus pagan, is that why there can be finally peace? Okay, Lon brother and everybody else, hang on just a second, hang on. I know we are, we just, we we want to jump to everything we know in the New Testament and and get the timing all of this. And I want to get there too. But we come to these texts with all of those assumptions. And I just, so I'm just going to put you off for a minute. Maybe it's a good question. Uh, hang on. And let's just, again, sort of have our virgin experience with the original prophecies. And then, because uh, there's more coming uh, here in chapter 11 that uh, may may speak to some of that timing issue. So yeah, hang on, hang on. Uh, yeah, Janus has a return to the garden and paradise. Yes, what I was thinking in particular is, uh, let me pull this up for you. In uh, Genesis 1, I think it's verse 28. Right, the command, the original command given to, to humans here is, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? So make more of you and subdue it. Subdue the earth. He goes on uh, down here. Maybe it's before that. Rule and subdue. Rule over the earth. Uh, let us make mind. Let us make man in our own image, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky. Right. So that was the, those are the original commands given to mankind: R- reproduce and rule the earth. Rule, rule creation. Rule, rule nature. What we call nature. And remember in Psalm eight where David is is marveling that God would look at man, at humans with such dignity and give us rule and reign over over all the creatures. He's just marveling at that. And and Hebrews chapter 2 picks up that theme and says, we don't yet see all of creation bowing the knee to mankind, but we do see Jesus. Well, I have a son who used to be a little boy, and I assure you, there is no way I would allow him, invite him, encourage him to go hang out with lions and try to pet them and lead them like he might a dog. Right? We are not there. But this is the vision that Isaiah sees. A boy is going to lead these wild dangerous animals. He goes on with more. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. It's going to be a generational thing. The bear and the cow are going to get along just fine. And their young are going to get along just fine. And their diets are going to change. They're going to graze. And even the lion and the ox, they're both going to eat straw, which I don't know that much about cows and oxen, which, so, you know, that that's not new for them, but it's new for the lion, right? Lions like meat. But when Messiah comes, the lions are going to stop eating meat and they're going to eat grass. Yeah, as Janice said, a return to Eden, right? Getting back to the way things were before the what before what we call the fall and the curse, right? Uh, Again, back to Genesis. So after Adam and Eve sinned, or to put it historically, chronologically correct, after Eve and Adam fell, as far as we know, it was all eating plants and grass. In fact, man wasn't allowed to eat animals until after Noah, right? So we remember how this all worked. The, after Eve sinned and then Adam sinned, and they have the whole discussion here about uh, nakedness and, and all that. Here's the, here are the curses from God in Genesis 3. The Lord says to the serpent, remember the serpent is the one who deceived Eve. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than all the beasts of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So God curses the snake, puts him on his belly. So he's crawling around, uh, and the assumption is he was more upright before this. And then he says this, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now we are very familiar with this and you immediately think of her seed being Jesus and the serpent seed being Satan and that battle, right? And that's good, but let's stick to the imagery here for a minute. This curse says that the woman's children are going to be at war with the snakes children. Right? That's the image. That's that's what's going on here. So you've got a child, an infant, a a toddler maybe, and snakes at war. And humans, they're going to step on snakes' heads, and and snakes are going to bite the feet of children. Right? You see that? That's the imagery there. Notice the next part of the vision in Isaiah. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. So this vision that Isaiah sees is now when Messiah comes and he judges the nations with equity and righteousness that a little little baby could crawl over to a nest of vipers or cobras, put his hand right in there, and these animals are not going to bite him. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean we live here in Colorado Springs and we have a a trail that goes by our house that uh, my family walks all the time and it's just covered with gardener snakes, gardener snakes all over the place. You see them crawling all the time. Well, nobody's afraid of a garter snake. My kids used to go and pick them up. You know, my son would. Well, I shouldn't say my kids. My my son used to go pick up garter snakes because uh, women are supposed to be, uh, you know, an animosity against the snakes because of this whole thing in the garden. Although uh, I have always wondered about my wife because my wife seems to uh, really like snakes for some reason. Anyway, uh, you know, garter snakes are not a threat. They don't have teeth. We're not worried about them. But if I knew there was a rattlesnake out there, because we have rattlesnakes around here. I would not let my child anywhere near them. And I would be scared to death to see my son picking up and holding a rattlesnake. Right? You hear that rattle? You go the other way. That's what we do. But the vision here when Messiah comes, rattlesnake, go on over, Gabe, pet it, pick it up. The curse is reversed you see that here. Last thing for today, verse nine, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Notice there's no object here. They will not hurt what? They will not destroy what? Nothing is mentioned. It's a it's a big, big statement they, all of creation, will not hurt anyone or anything. They will not destroy anyone or anything. Right? Peace. No more damage and destruction. Why? For, here's why, because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea you think of a sea waters cover the sea completely right wherever the water stops that's where the sea stops you don't have sea where there's no water As the waters cover the sea, the earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh. And that is the reason why there will be no more hurt and destruction and fighting and war between man and nature, between man and man. This is all going to come about when Messiah comes. That's the image here. Remember, the Messiah, we saw this back in verse 1, or verse 2, I should say. The Spirit of the Lord rests on him, and the Spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. And you remember what we talked about when we looked at that verse? When the Bible talks about knowledge between people, do you recall what I, what I said about that? Uh, what does it, what does it mean? What, what is, because we think of knowledge as information, right? We, we, we tend to use it that way, facts. But but we stress that when the Bible talks about the knowledge between people, it's not simply information, it's, sim- it's more than that. It's more than facts. Do you remember what I said, that that knowing another person in the Bible expresses or communicates? Anybody remember that? I know there's a little delay here, so I'll give you a chance. Lon says, Maranatha. That's right. You know what Maranatha means, by the way, Lon? Curious. Do you know what Maranatha means? I'll give you a chance to respond to that as well. So knowledge, like um, the knowledge that Moses had with God, or to lead the witness here, uh, the knowledge that Adam had of his wife. Remember, we talked about that in Genesis four here, I'll I'll pull that up. uh, Since we were just in Genesis anyway. Uh, Genesis four, here in Genesis four, one, it says now the man and the NAS says, uh, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth. This word for he had relations with is literally in Hebrew, the word new. The man, Adam, knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth. This, this phrase is used over and over again. Yeah, Janice got it, intimacy. I and mean, there's nothing more intimate in, human, in humanity than sexual relations. It, it, it is a, a close personal relationship. That's what the, the word knowledge communicates. So Adam and Eve knew each other. We, we didn't have that phrase, right? They knew each other in the biblical sense. Moses knew God. He had a special relationship. So this, this Messiah who's coming is, is filled with the spirit and the spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. That spirit is going to create this, this wonderful, close love between uh, the coming one and the Lord. Well, Look what it says is going to be the case in the whole earth the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Just like waters cover the sea, so knowledge of the Lord, intimacy with the Lord, knowing the Lord in a a close love relationship, that'll be true of the whole earth. So imagine you're Nathaniel. And you're told we have found the one that the prophets spoke of. And you're pondering this. You're walking around. You go see Jesus, right? And and he tells you about I saw you under the fig tree and all that. And you're just you're amazed. Nathaniel said, "Well, you are the the, the son of God. You are the Christ. That I believe." And you're following him, and and you're 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 reflecting all of this. And and now you're thinking, the one the prophets said was coming and and you're reflecting in your mind from Isaiah 11 thinking, whoa, what does this mean for us? Well, the Spirit's going to come upon him and he's going to have wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and he's going to judge and he's going to judge with righteousness. and The whole world is going to be transformed. And the lion and the lamb are going to lie down together. The wolf and the lamb are going to lie down together. And the whole world is going to be full of people who love him. And as Lon has already said, and I, I prompted at the beginning, it begs, it provokes the question is when? When is this going to happen? Because we look out at our world right now and we say, it ain't here yet, is it? We don't see in the natural realm, we don't see wolves and lambs lying together. We don't see in the human realm peace. We see some peace. We see some Christians laboring for peace with others, but not even all Christians are at peace. I'm sure you have experienced significant hostility with other Christians. So even among people who have the spirit of God, we, we are not realizing the fulfillment of this as it's described. And certainly nature is far, far away from this. So when? We'll, we'll see what the next section has to say and answer to that question tomorrow. All right, real quick, I want to get back to, uh, I, I teased Lon a little bit here about the Maranatha. Yeah, Lon got it. Maranatha means Lord come. But there is one more element of Maranatha that doesn't come across in our English translations very well. O Lord, come in judgment. That's what's behind that word Maranatha. Interesting, huh? This idea of judgment is so much in some of our older language of Christianity, but it's kind of lost. But do you see it? Do you see how there can only be peace? when there is a righteous judge who is exercising faithful equity among people. And when the spirit, it can only happen when the spirit transforms hearts. All right, I got to run. Have a great day. Reflect on this. Think about this and uh, read ahead and look at the next section, which we will, Lord willing, come back to tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless.